Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Boom, we're live. Pitch Tech Asia. This is Graham Brown. We're in the studio today, joined by Sam Gibb, investor, partner in Endeavor Ventures. Sam, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, Graham. It's good to have you here. A little bit of background to yourself. First, you're reasonably well known here in Singapore as an investor, angel investor, as well as now partner in Endeavor Ventures. Bit of your background. Where are you from originally, Sam? Uh, New Zealand. Which part? Hamilton, City of the Future. Hamilton, City of the Future. Yeah, or well, I like to try to lead with that. That's how I'm trying to sell it, but that's definitely not what it's known for. Where, that's in the South Island, isn't nah, it? No, nah, no, nah, north? north, just South right. of Auckland. You know. South of Auckland. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and how long have you been in Singapore? Uh, just over seven years now. Okay. What, what sort of brought you here? Um, it's, it's actually a funny story. My, my wife got the opportunity uh, to, to come up with, with PwC, but that opportunity came up the day after we'd been talking about where we wanted to go. So uh, we were looking at getting offshore, either going to Aussie, going to UK, which is the the trip most Kiwis do, or or doing something a little bit different and coming up to Singapore. And, yeah. and that's where the opportunity was. I mean, at the time I was at a fund in New Zealand um, and I, I wanted to be in a deeper capital market. I'd, I would have rather been a small fish in a big pond than a, a bigger fish in, in a small pond there. Um, so I thought it was worthwhile coming up to to get the experience and, and learn a heap of things. So you came 2012, roughly? Yeah, around that, yeah. Time flies. Yeah. So you came in 2012, the startup scene changed a lot. That was about the time, I think, 2012 FailCon was just launched here with Golden Gate. That would have been right, v- yeah. Vinnie Laurie and that lot. So things were just changing. You, you came at the beginning of the startup ecosystem. What was it like when you moved out here? I mean, today, like, there's so much support, there's like events and there's startups coming out the walls but what was it like back then well, i'll be honest so when i first came out here i wasn't as focused on the startup scene because i was more focused on public markets but then because of the the internal trading policies that we had at the, the fund that i was at here i wasn't actually able to trade uh, public equities so i started looking around and realized that yeah it, it was a pretty nascent startup ecosystem uh, when i got involved there, there weren't anywhere near as many incubators. I mean, I saw a number the other day that suggested there were over 150 different kind of incubators, accelerators in town. Uh, there was, there wasn't a whole heap of that there, mm. there when when I initially got involved, and only a few. Was there any probably back then? Not that I can remember, but that's not saying that there may not have been a few around. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, there wasn't a lot of mentorship. The, the the groups that were around they weren't very formal it was it was it was it was pretty low key mm. and how did you sort of you know make that transition from where you were then trading in public markets or portfolios and now to startups what's where did that click did you do it i mean joseph was in the studio the other day yeah. and um just hearing his story so he started out as an angel investor almost by accident and then that sort of like transitioned into well i'm doing more and more of these angel investments to really you know now this is becoming full-time for me he sort of left his job became a full-time investor and then transitioned into a fund because it made sense what what was your journey yeah it's somewhat similar actually because like as as i mentioned before wasn't able to trade in the apply my wares in the public market so started to look at the private opportunities uh realized that the government was putting a lot of backing behind this and trying to encourage the ecosystem. Uh, when I was thinking about it, I thought, well, 
this this could be one of these things that in five to ten years time if i didn't get involved now i'd be gutted mm. so started to get involved just yeah writing small angel tickets um and then i, I suppose i got to a point where well, there's a view that I want to be able to take on w- what's happened with the early stage companies generally, but then also more so with what I see happening in in kind of crypto. But I'm not I'm not talking about the the ICOs, the tokens, and all that kind of thing. But the way to, that I see that ecosystem evolving, I think there are going to be some really great opportunities for people to be able to invest in people who are creating new protocols because the protocols that we have for the the internet generally. Those are all created in non-profit academic institutions. People can now be incentivized to create those. I think that that's, that's going to create some really great opportunities maybe now, maybe more like in five to 10 years' time. I want to be able to invest in that. Mm. Uh, when I was, sorry, just doubling back, when I was at the, the hedge fund, there wasn't that much more room for me to grow. And also what, what I noticed was traditional finance is, is largely negatively reinforcing and mm. that even if you had the right positioning, you could have had you could you, you get something right you get a stock pick right well why wasn't your weight higher why didn't you buy more of this you could always trade something better nothing was ever really enough whereas it's a lot more optimistic and i really enjoyed working with the early stage guys like seeing people that were actually trying to trying to reach their potential mm. and make make a bit of a difference i mean just the the energy levels generally just yeah so much better so yeah basically ended up transitioning going from what I was doing with the the angel investing and then trying to bundle that together into the farm which is Endeavor Ventures. Mm. When you were working with those early stage guys did you ever have the thought of I want to sit on that side of the table and become a startup entrepreneur myself? I'm curious because angel investors make a conscious choice or early stage fund investors make a conscious choice about wanting to sit on the other side of the table and not be an entrepreneur themselves. What was it like for you? Did you ever thought, oh, they look like they're having a lot of fun there, the startups? Did you ever feel like you wanted to be part yeah, of that? it's a fair question. Like, it's something like I always ask myself. It's not just, it wasn't just like a one-off thing, but I feel if you if you really want to be a, a founder, you have to have something that you, you, you believe in, you feel so passionately about. And if I was to find something else that I felt really passionately about and I thought that I was very well placed to be able to do this and that no one else would be able to replicate whatever I could create, then yeah, that's something that I'd go after. But then also, I think there's kind of three different people that you generally see in the ecosystem, right? You have you have the executives, the executors, these are the guys who, they might not have their own ideas per se, but then they're really able to pull people together and create some value in a market. You have the the entrepreneurs, these are the guys who are, who are a little bit weird and they strongly believe in something that most other people don't believe in, right? They they have their open secrets. Uh, yeah, they they they're really unique. And then you also have the investors. These are the guys who may not have a massive amount of conviction on any one particular thing, but they have a, a broad range of interests that they're able to get across, and they really enjoy learning and. I would like to say that I'd kind of bridge the the latter two, but then definitely because of my background, I, I find that I'm more suited on the the investor side. Mm. I, I like it how you say that the entrepreneurs are weird. I mean, granted, I think entrepreneurs so, socially probably a little bit on the scale. I, I as an entrepreneur myself, I tend <laughs> to find that investors also sit maybe a bit further out on the scale as well. You know, the more I talk to angel investors. 
I think like the entrepreneurs, they, they are on the extremes a little bit. I wonder what that is, you know, that they... Yeah, I, I think you have to have that though, right? Because that's the way that you're thinking about things. Like, and that's, I think that's what you're going to find if you're dealing with good investors and they're going to be people that would resonate with you as well. It's when you're dealing with the investors that are so tied up with financial metrics or hitting trivial milestones and those are the guys who are going to be you know further away on that that spectrum mm. and probably the ones that an entrepreneur wouldn't get on with as well mm. okay great um before we sort of dive into a little bit more about the the kind of um involvement you've had with the startup ecosystem here in Singapore. I heard jo Joseph messaged me the other day and um, Joseph McCarner, who was on the show from, um, uh, from the health tech side of the world. He said that you guys hang out the other day um, for the afternoon. What do investors talk about when they hang out? What was that like? Do you talk about the investment deals that you do? Do you talk about industries or do you talk about anything but investment? Oh, it was mainly investment. Uh, it was it was more about like the the issues and where we saw the issues in the industry at the moment. Uh, what's going on in Singapore? Um, just 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 trying to understand also how how he got to do what he was doing. I mean mm. that, that was that was kind of what we were, what we're talking about. But yeah, a lot of the deals. I mean there were there were a couple of deals that he was in that I'd looked at and I'd passed on for certain reasons. He'd looked at them at a different time, had a different thesis, and it was good kind of mashing those things out. Yeah. And so would you sort of position yourself in the same sort of area that he... So I understand that he's sort of more of a micro fund or a nano fund. I mean, obviously, he's vec I mean, he's vertical specific. Um, let me understand. And for those that are, are listening or watching as well, where do you fit in the grand scheme of things? You know, you describe yeah. yourself as a VC or what? Yeah, so VC kind of C to A, very early stage stuff. I'd prefer to be operating in the the very early stage on the seed. So my ideal is to actually work with a work with a founder, group of founders for three to six months before actually making the investment. So again, I'm very active in mentoring around town at the uh, SMU, Niang, uh, Startup X, and like a couple of the incubators here um, because I actually want to get to know the founders before I actually go and pull the trigger. I want to see how they they deal with issues, whether or not they're able to pivot quickly, are they able to take advice on, are they humble, or are they just just trying to make it up as they go. And actually, on that point too, though, I would say generally I've found I, I tend to like working with female founders more so because they seem to be a little bit more more well thought out in how they are they're approaching problems. Mm. Um, it's just difficult because there aren't as many of them around. Um, but then <laughs> talking about myself versus what Joseph's doing with Verge is, yeah, he's he's sector focused, but then he's also global. My mandate's a lot smaller. So while I'm sector agnostic, I'm more so looking at Southeast Asia and then like focus areas. As I mentioned before, it is crypto, but they're not tokens. It's more investing in the equity of the guys who are creating the infrastructure there. Because if you actually have a look at where the economics have really been created in this this kind of first phase of the market, it, it has all been in the the centralized institutions, the exchanges, the wallets. These are the guys that are making the money. And this is what you'd expect as the infrastructure is being built out. I mean, later on, yeah, you, you, you get some value from the, the other instruments and propositions in that market. But at the moment I'm more focused on the infrastructure mm. and that, that fits with some of the other themes that I'm looking at as well in the fintech especially with decentralised finance and 
and the kind of big data AI being actually able to use that data and um, transfer that using the blockchain. Okay. I, I want to understand, because you, you've alluded to it, what you look for in those founders. You say that you're quite sort of hands-on in the first three to six months pre-making any investment. So you really want to get to know them. So I'm curious about that. Before we do that, is there any, just out of curiosity, is there any sector you wouldn't touch? I know you, oh, yeah, me too. Right. So I'll leave that to Joseph. Okay. Uh, just because of Joseph or just because it's very... Uh, no, I think it's something that you really have to understand really well. It's not something that you can you can come into if you don't actually have that, that sector knowledge. I think it's... Right. Yeah, I do. I do think it's 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 very specific, and uh, yeah, I would admit that I don't have the skill set, and that's one that would be very hard to to outsource. Mm. Okay, so if you take take off the table those very sector specific knowledge areas, where you know, like medtech, for example, leaving everything else, the founders, what do you look for? And I guess you've already mentioned, for example, like female founders versus male founders, interesting sort of. You know, pattern recognition you know it's all about identifying patterns in people isn't it like you you see patterns of success maybe from your angel investment days you, you've learned that this kind of behavior this kind of personality leads to this kind of outcome generally it's these are generalizations yeah right? these are algorithms right what what gives you a good indication at those early stages let's say you and i met for the first time what are you looking for in that initial conversation over coffee I don't know about the initial conversation, but what what I'm typically looking for, I'm pretty simple, right? So it's just humble and teachable. Like what I would be looking for is how you're talking about things, how you're talking about past achievements. Is it, you know, are you an I or a we kind of person? You know, fixed versus growth mindset, like what kind of words are you using? Uh, but then also I might just try and like pitch a couple of things. Maybe they're just like, just bullshit things. But just to get a bit of a feel for like, how do you take these? Like, do you just throw them back? Do you not care? And this is one of the hardest things I think about being an entrepreneur is like, when do you actually listen to someone else? When do you listen to someone external? And when do you just follow your gut and just go with it? And in my experience, the better guys, they will take in multiple viewpoints, they'll be able to synthesize them and then run with what is whatever is the most suitable. That may have been some advice that they got. That may be something that they've got in their head anyway, but they have the confidence to be able to go and run with that. And... Yeah, I think it's definitely one of the harder skills and it's it's one of the ones that I'm looking for. Yeah. Are there any sort of like red flags when you talk to people in that sense? I mean, you, you say, for example, I and we, you know, maybe somebody just uses I all the time, but, you know, are there any things that people say that you tend to find when you go to a lot of pitching events and you see pitches and we'll also talk about the event that you came to the other day with us, is that, yeah. you know, what are the sort of typical things that people you know, say which are red flags to you, which maybe with a little bit better training, they could do better at. It's, uh, honestly, in the first meeting, because I try, try to keep the first meetings relatively brief, so there's no massive red flags. The only thing I would say is if they if they haven't really spent the time to go through the ideas maze, if they haven't really thought about what it is that they're doing or they don't have a very good understanding of what the a uh, competitive environment looks like, then that would be a massive red flag for me because, and this is one of the issues that I see with the industry here generally is that, yeah, there's a lot of guys that want to be able to pursue the, the startup dream. And so they just take any idea and they run with it without actually doing the work and understanding the existing solutions to mm. the problem that, it, that, that, that they're trying to solve. So it may not even be a problem uh, out there anyway. Um, and 
It's a solution looking for a problem. Yeah. In many yeah, cases. And, and, and they don't have, they just don't have, I mean, I had, I had one guy come up to me at a conference and he was like, oh, I'm doing this uh, accounting software is going to be deployed in the cloud, SaaS business. I'm like, oh, so how is it different from Zero? It's like, well, Zero, like, oh, I can't, like, I'm, I, and I kind of had to tell him and I just, I just saw the moment when his heart broke and it was, it, it was difficult for me to have to deliver, to deliver that news. But then at the same time, I was like, well, why are you running so hard after this if you haven't actually spent the time yeah. to think about what, what else is out there? Yeah, you, you do ask direct questions as well. And I, I've had experience of this and I think that sort of garners respect in a way. Um, you came to our our event the other day where we sat, I know there was a lot of volume there. We had 17 startups. So it was a lot to ask everybody to go through every single pitch deck, but it was a learning event for everybody really find out what could we do, what worked, what didn't work and so on. And for, for some of the startups as well, it's an opportunity first time to sit with angels in that sort of proximity and get some feedback. What were your thoughts on, um, let, let me ask you first, did you go for every single pitch deck or every single presentation first beforehand? Cause you seem to have quite a bit of notes. I was quite sort of yeah. surprised. Yeah. And no, I went through all of them. All of them. Yeah, okay. I always do. Okay. So you went through 17 beforehand? Well, I mean, the way that I look at it is they've taken the time to prepare this information and come and sit and talk to us. So the least I can do is actually spend some time to th to, to think through what it is that they've created and uh, hopefully give them some reasonable feedback or ask some thoughtful questions. Okay. I find that interesting because that's not a typical VC's way of doing things, mainly because of supply and demand of time. They tend to say, you know, they get hundreds and hundreds of pitches. I can't respond to every single one of these people. Yeah, well, that's. I don't think that's as big of an option here in Asia. the The market just isn't that big. Yeah. But then at the same time, I've been going through investment propositions for over a decade now, so I can do these things relatively quickly. And what I typically find is there's there's like two or three key things that are worth focusing on, and then I'll I'll go and run with those. I'm not going to be going through each one asking the same questions. Like it's a checkbox. Like mm. uh, different industries are going to have different things D depending on the stage of the business. There's going to be something else that I'm going to be focusing on. There might be different weaknesses, strengths that the founder has and, and focusing on those. What are those two or three things that you look for? Oh, it's, diff it's different. I can't say because it's different oh, okay. depending on the company. But there's, uh, the, the, the proposition or the thesis is typically, typically going to be based on a, a couple of things. Mm. If, if Advice to those startup founders that came the other day. Um, if they could all do one thing, I know that's very generic and you say there's many different startups, different sectors, different levels as well. If, if you could give sort of generic advice to all of them, one thing that they could do to just kind of get up the learning curve a little bit to meet the investors halfway and so that you can interface a little bit better with those investors, what would it be? Is there, sort of, is there generic advice? That people the only thing I'd say based on the event the other day would be to have to have your elevator pitch and cover the problem solution statement relatively quickly because the investors that that resonates with, then they'll want to follow on and they'll want to dig deeper and the guys that aren't interested, then you'll be able to tell relatively quickly. Right. Um, especially in a forum like that because, I mean, there were a couple of guys that were just, just went on for a, a little bit longer. I mean, it was it was difficult because it was so packed, but then at the same time, it, you know, very hard to be able to give each founder an adequate amount of time to, mm. to, to dig into what it was that they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. For those people who are not very good at elevator pitches, what advice for them? Because I think, especially here in Asia, you know, there, you've seen them. For example, like at the event that we had, there were people who are really good at pitching, and you can tell they were just really good in the public domain, and they were comfortable there. And there were some people who weren't 
because that's just it, right? You know, they're not very, na they're not natural pitchers or speakers. You know, and when they come down to that sort of, okay, pitch me your idea in two minutes or 30 seconds, that's tough, isn't it? Any, any sort of advice for those people? Yeah. How, how would you actually sort of work on that yes. if you're... I think it's something that you kind of got to work with, with either your friends, your advisors, other people that you've got in the company and just boil it down to the simplest possible proposition and, 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 and practice play around with it. I mean, you're not, I think, I think the thing people need to realize is that they don't have to give their full CVs and they don't have to give a, a download of all of the industry information. Like typically investors will actually have some kind of idea, especially angel investors. They're going to be focused on industries that they're familiar with. So they're going to have some idea about the background there and just just keep it simple and then let them let them dig down. You're just you're just trying to get the hook in. You're not trying to get the whole fish out of the water, fillet it up and chuck it on the barbie. Nah. Just want to get the hook in there a little bit. Just get a bite. Just just a little nibble. A little nibble. Yeah. Dangle the hook. <laughs> yeah. That's how it works. All right, cool. Um I I've, I've heard that and this has been said by many investors is that, you know, you you learn most from your investments from the, 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 your biggest losses. And, um, so can we talk about that a little bit about your sort of history, a little bit in investing, whether in angel or in the fund, for example, maybe your bigger history in angel investment or before that in, um, you know, managing portfolios as well. What, what have you learned from your biggest mistakes? Can you share anything that was a big mistake or, or an investment that blew up without, you don't have to name names or like talk about the companies, but you know, um, I think unless you've actually lost money, it's hard to actually say you, you've learned oh, a I've lot. I've made a lot of mistakes, so. Can you um, tell us about those? <laughs> but then when I look back at my angel portfolio now, there's there are very few companies that I'd probably invest in again because throughout the journey, my my process or what I'm looking for, my criteria has, has changed. It's iterated the whole time. Hmm. Um, How many investments have you made? Over a dozen. Yeah. As angel? Yeah. Okay. Here in Singapore? Yeah. Okay. Are you, are you sort of, I don't understand your world enough, but I'm trying to probe a little bit. Are you working on a typical sort of fund return in that sense, in the sense that, you know, to get 3x return, I need to get one in nine or one in 10? Is that sort of roughly how <sighs> so you So the way that I actually approached it was, okay, so the, you look at the numbers now, typically you need to have at least 20 investments in the portfolio to ensure that one of those is going to be successful and you're going to earn at least a one times return on the fund, right? Um, you know, this is up from 10 investments uh, a couple of years back because it's just become so much cheaper to be able to start a business. So yeah, if, you, if, if I was going to say anything, that was kind of how I approached it and that I need to be able to actually get a reasonable amount of diversification in the portfolio before one of these things blow up because my, my nature is typically pretty risk averse, maybe not best suited for, for the asset class, but at the same time, I want to try to avoid the pitfalls where I can. And as a result of that, I'm afraid if I have a massive blow up, then I'll just be like, nah, I'm out. I'm not touching this again. So yeah. I want to ensure that I've got that got that base there. Um, and I mean, overall, that's been going relatively well um, for big mistakes. Is there anything that you invested in? Because you were, did you ever make sort of, I know you say you're quite sort of cautious and analytical. In your earlier days, did you ever make sort of emotional bets on investments because you just believed in it? Nah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was more emotionally driven because that's something that I kind of have a bit of a feeling on. Like, am I doing this for the right kinds of reasons? Um, would I invest just because of people? Yeah. Like, mm. I definitely 
be more drawn to an investment because of the people that are involved. Actually, for the mistakes, sorry, just doubling back, I would say one of the mistakes that I made was assuming that if a business was fundable in another market, then it should be fundable here as well. You mean geographically? Yeah. So if it worked in New Zealand, it would work in Singapore? I don't know if I'd say New Zealand because then that's even even smaller market than like, yeah, okay. for, for, for capital but than as Singapore. An example, but like, yeah. well, if it, was, if it was able to work in the US, then they might be able to bring that same model here and and apply that. Um, yeah. Also, when I've looked at other ideas that are a little bit left of field, so when you're dealing with the really eccentric guys, the the, the guys who are doing something that's quite interesting, like the the Airbnb guys. I mean, if you were to go and float yeah. that idea here, even now, I don't. I don't think there would be the depth in the capital markets to be able to support it. Well, they only raised a hundred grand in their first round, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that just shows how insane, like that's as you say, like left field idea it was for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, and that's fine if they get. I think they were YC funded, right? Like if mm. they get the the first that that first ticket, it's fine. But it's the it's beyond there. That's where that's where startups really really struggle here. Um, and that's well, the, the the kind of reasons that I've seen for that are. They haven't thought about it strategically enough. They haven't got the right kind of partners on early enough. They haven't been too focused on product, not not focused enough on getting the traction numbers that they need. Uh, because like these, I mean, these two things are combined too. Because you should be having those conversations. You shouldn't always be fundraising, but you should be having the conversations with the kind of people that could actually be investors in the next round relatively early so you can deal with whatever their problems are. The worst case is, you know, you're like, oh yeah, we've got a month or two months of funding left. And we need to get this over over the line. They're like the, the VC comes goes. Oh yeah, well we need to see this and this before we can actually invest. It's like well that would have been great to know, kind of three six months ago. Yeah. And and given that given that lead, they they could have actually pulled that stuff together. Mm. I just yeah yeah I, 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 that's 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 where I have the most frustrating conversations is is with the companies that that haven't proved those kind of parts out. Right. What about the, the companies? You, I mean, I spoke to Joseph about this as well. Is that um, I think it was Jason Calacanis who said that the best ideas are often, or maybe it's Paul Graham, you know, often disguised as bad ideas. That yeah, you know, Graham, yeah. when you are presented with a what you think might be absolutely awful or lame idea, sometimes those are the real hundred x deals because nobody else gets it, and yet. The ones that are obviously good, the ones that win pitch competitions, often they're the ones that don't necessarily go on and perform in this way because all it's all priced into the the assets, if you like. You know, people get yeah. it. Well, that's what I'm trying to avoid, right? You want to avoid the hype. And I've seen this so many times. People want to just jump on the next hot thing. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to be, I wouldn't say, it's, it's not contrarian, but different, like, able to, to think about these things differently but then like i was saying before you you walk a really fine line in asia because it has to be different but then at the same time it has to be provable because there's not like a heap of other crazy money out there that's going to be able to follow on and allow the business to grow unless it can actually get the get enough cash flow coming in to be able to support itself uh, you know at the, at the at the next stage uh so yeah definitely and i mean i always ask myself too if we're thinking back on some of the the companies that have now become unicorns, would I have potentially been an investor way back? And you know, basically, like, is other mental models that are, that I'm using are they useful, or am I just going to automatically reject things that could potentially be really big? And and this is this is something that's 
like as, as a mental exercise is something that I find really difficult to do. Some things like I, I know I, my, my thinking has changed over the years. And I'm like, yes, this is something that I would back now that I wouldn't have before. Mm. But then there's still some of the bigger bets that I would be like, nah, I don't quite like, I don't quite get it. It doesn't quite fit with my worldview or uh, I, I just, I just, I just, it, you know, it still just doesn't gel with me. Yeah. So, yeah, but that's Do- something I try to improve. Yeah, do you, I mean you mentioned as well about here in in Asia with like follow-on funding, follow-on rounds. Is, does that make it particularly hard for those black swans because you know in, in if you were based out of the US, you could have somebody who believed in you and could put in the initial funding and make that happen and you could probably find people to get follow-on rounds in future. Yeah. But here in in Asia you might get that initial funding but if it's sort of an outlier style business model follow-on funding might be a lot harder. Is that what you're saying? So those sort of black swans, those 100x, et cetera, yeah. those big returns really have difficulty later on? Uh, yeah, I think it's. I think it also goes to the culture though, right? Like, you know, I've said this before, but with graffiti, you know, people come to Singapore, they're like, oh, it's beautiful, there's no graffiti, it's so clean. It's like, yeah, but there's a flip side to that coin, right? It means people are like very safe, secure, they don't want to, they don't feel like they have the ability to be able to go out there and express themselves and do something different. And then so if you, if you look, okay, so that's at the entrepreneurial level, but then if you look at like the, the executive, the angel, the, the funding level, then also the, the nature of capital here is also a lot more risk averse. I mean, it, it is in real estate, it is in things or asset classes that aren't typically taking a lot of that kind of risk. You, there aren't that many executives who have been in high growth businesses, scaled them up, seen how that works, have the capital to them go go and reinvest that in you know at, at the angel level in these guys and so i mean I don't, I don't know how this problem's actually solved i think this is like a multi multi-decade issue a generational thing mm. that does get solved over time uh, but it's yeah i definitely see it as an issue at the moment yeah. for, for for the younger guys that want to do something a bit different it's going to take time yeah Definitely. And I think we're, we're sort of missing as well, maybe the last piece in the puzzle, which is the entrepreneurs who exit is starting to happen, but more entrepreneurs who exit, who then go back into the ecosystem and invest in startups. Maybe, you know, a lot of the things you talk about, like, because they believe in the founders, they're very good at identifying founders because they see patterns and they, they can add some real value rather than just speculate. They can yeah. actually add some hands-on value. Where are we with that here in Singapore and Southeast Asia in particular? You know, we don't have that sort of generation that you get in Silicon Valley, which would make a difference. Yeah, it's not a massive amount, but there's a handful, there's a few, and there's more and more. Um, so I think it's, I think it is happening. But then these guys, you got to ask the question: like, is this something that they really want to be involved in? Do, 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 do they actually want to get involved in the angel investing? Because it is like, just as an angel, it's it can be like a full-time job. Like if you really want to do it well and actually help the companies that you're investing in and ensure that you're positioned and you, you're you able to do the right kinds of deals that you want to do, then it does become actually quite a bit of work and the returns might be so-so, mm. right? Because this isn't as deep a capital market. And if you have a look at like the US, yeah, great. It's a massive, massive consumer market. Uh, but then if you look at, you know, the propensity to spend in Asia, there's only a few developed markets here where people do have that propensity to spend. And uh, yes, the population combined might be bigger, but it's just incomparable to what you have in other mm. other areas. So why did you, you make that move from being an angel investor to the fund side of things? Because w- w- 
to your point about full time, was it a full time job for you before when you said you made 12 up investments? Nah, so not at the start. It was more something that I was doing on the side. But then, yeah, like I was doing the work. I basically, again, because of my background, I had more of a formal structure and process that I'd go through with the businesses. So I was like, well, I want to get a little bit of leverage on my time as well. You know, at the time I had you know, friends, family asking me like, oh, can we invest as well? And it's like, yeah, I could kind of do some kind of, I can either chuck it on an Excel spreadsheet and we can keep track of it that way or do, do some kind of SPV. But that's not something that really appealed to me because then I was like, well, I've kind of got the, the liability, got to deal with all the issues if something actually goes wrong here. I don't, I wasn't going to charge them, wasn't going to get anything on the upside. Um, but then you also with a... <laughs> The, the fun, I get a bit of bit of leverage on the time, bit of bit of leverage on the activities that I'm doing. But then also, I want to be able to build out a more robust model. So I don't want to go into too many, many details, but being able to offer the startups uh, the tools that they need to succeed in the early stages, as opposed to just being a source of funding and mm. maybe giving some kind of informal guidance uh, or formal informal guidance. Um, on, on their strategy and direction because um, that's I mean that's another issue that I've seen here that can easily be solved hmm. what was that issue so tell me that a bit again about uh, just the involvement of, of an investor in the startup well it's the the level of involvement that I've seen uh, the, the, the other early stage investors have hmm. with the startups but then also I mean you, you, go, you s start off trying to scale a business here and actually be able to put all those different pieces together, you know, the HR, the fundraising, mm. the yeah, the marketing, sales side of it. Like there's, there's all these various different processes that a startup has to get their head around relatively quickly. And from what I've seen, they're not really being being helped with that from the, the investors' perspectives. So I think that's that's really where the gap is. Right. Isn't that where the accelerator comes in? Isn't that what they should be doing? Isn't that sort of the role of what... Those guys are supposedly like the generators, accelerators who take an idea, even if, you know, agreed, some of them haven't even formed teams yet, but growing an idea, they, they have all that sort of very hands-on mentoring and building of the business. It's, well, they kind of have their process that they go through, right? Like they're, they're fed into that funnel, but, and they're given some guidance around how they should be positioning, presenting the business. I don't necessarily agree with all the guidance that they are given. But then they're kind of set out after demo day, and they're off. They're off. They're on their own, right? And so, what do they do after that? Uh, Fend for themselves. Yeah, and hopefully they they get it right. Mm. Um, there's there's like there's not as much as you I think. There's not as much handholding and guidance as you'd think from some of the the incubators and accelerators, from what I've seen. Mm. All right. Okay. Um, I want to ask you, Sam, about what you really enjoy in what you do your job, so to speak, your day job being a VC. What is it that you wake up in the morning and really look forward to doing? Is it the spreadsheets? I, I love spreadsheets. I love a good spreadsheet. Okay. No, uh, what I really love is actually hearing really I interesting ideas. Yeah. <laughs> no, I got mad spreadsheets. Uh, it's dealing, you know, listening to guys who have really interesting ideas and just who are really excited about doing something different Yeah, and creating something. That's what I do every day, but I'm not investing in them. Yeah. So what's the difference? I know we're doing the same thing. I've got to have skin in the game. Right. Okay. I can't. I can't just. I couldn't. I couldn't just be there as like a, 
passive observer. I'm not the kind of guy who just like wants to sit on the sidelines. Like I, I, yeah, I want to be involved. Like, and if it's something that I believe in, yeah, I want to go and back it. Like, and sometimes there have been ideas that I've seen and I've been like, yeah, that's something that I want to build, but I wasn't in the right position to be able to build it myself. Like, yes, definitely. I want to be, I want to be on that train. Yeah. Why do you enjoy that? Why do you enjoy sitting? It's energizing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd like to think I can make a difference. I don't know if I can or not. And I mean, you made the comment before too about me asking relatively direct questions. And I was, I was actually just at a meeting before with a, with a startup and they said, yeah, we like your, your candid and honest feedback. Uh, They said, apparently a a lot of the companies have, have said that too. I was like, yeah, well, that's, that's, it's, it's, it's what I do. Yeah. But then I think it self-selects too because I'm going to end up working with the guys who want to want to work with someone who's actually going to be up front with them and not going to bullshit them and just give them all the fluff all the time. Uh, I mean, like, if I if I look at what my ideal job looks like, it's working with really talented people, solving big problems, and and having skin in the game. And mm. this is something that allows me to do those things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, to point about the direct questions, I sort of I think I mentioned when I described you to somebody. Uh, another startup founder. Um, I described you as a Simon Cowell. Oh, I don't know if that's fair. I'm not. I think he's quite abrasive. I never try to. Like, I'm very respectful of the founders, their time, and I'm. You know, kind of like you know, Simon Cowell. We've talked about like the Shark Tank kind yeah, of mentality yeah, yeah. before, and I don't think that's great i mean a lot of people do get into angel investing because they think like yeah i get to go to the pitch and i get yeah. i get to decide who lives and dies and that's horrible it's absolutely horrible because this is this is someone's like livelihood it's their dreams it's their ambitions if like the, the way that i view my role is more as a steward of human capital right like if these guys aren't allocating their time to to what is the best purpose then i want to try to guide them in the right direction mm. um if they're not being ambitious enough, I want to be able to push them more like a, a coach, right? Like help them try to tr- try to tell them to dumb it down a bit if they're lifting too heavy. But at the same time, if they could be going harder, pushing them a bit more. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I like that. Not, not so much like Simon. So, yeah, I'm, I'm but, way more chill. Okay. Yeah. I know you are. And I've seen you in action as well. And I think that you're definitely a, a nice Simon Cow, but not in a way which I'll take that. Yeah. You're not sugarcoating it for people. Yeah. I mean, you know, even in, in those, I mean, it's done for entertainment, isn't it? Effectively yeah. him. And, you know, he has to play up to the camera. Yeah. I've seen you with startups and I've seen you ask the questions and no way are you doing it for your own ego or for entertainment value. And I, I'm curious, that steward of, home, steward of human capital, I think is a, is an interesting analogy. And, you know, I wonder about that as well, is that it must take a lot out of you if you're you know, at some point skin in the game financially, but emotionally skin in the game when you're sitting with somebody and you're listening to a pitch and you're wanting to help them, you have commitment to them. You're you're part of that for a little bit of time, right? You can't sort of detach yourself purely from it and say, yeah, I'm not interested because you feel like you've got to give something to that person or help them in a way. That must be a challenge for you, no? Like you, you're seeing so many ideas and you're hearing it and you want to help these people, you know, like if you're seeing hundreds and hundreds of these, that must tie you out now. How, how oh, do you sort of deal oh, with that? Nah, more like a doctor, right? You triage. So <laughs> deal with what you can 
and I'm not talking to every company, like every deck that I see, I'm not spending the time to go on and have a call with them. But then if I am going to have a call, I like to give them an indication or a call on our own meeting. I'm going to give them an indication at the end of that meeting if they want it, like, yes, no, like, or yes, no, maybe. Um, this is what I'm thinking and this is why. Because, look, they might, uh, yeah, I'd rather be upfront because then they might actually have an answer for this. Like, it's it's something that they've thought about. It's something that they've looked at. No, they decided not to do that because of this. Okay, well, that's something that I didn't realize. I'm probably going to learn something as well. So, mm. yeah, it's well, that's also one of the ideals for me is to be able to keep learning a heap really quickly. And yeah, I, I yeah, I don't feel as emotionally invested in it. I suppose that's also because of the way that I deal with it, with like position sizing and because I can always say, like, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to be upfront with you. Mm. I'm not hiding things. I think people people are going to get emotionally exhausted if they're like hiding things or if they're like trying to skirt around the issue. But I don't find not it- Not being yourself, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't find it takes anything from me. Yeah. If it, if it took something from me, then yeah, I probably wouldn't be doing this, right? Like, I think it adds mm. something like it. And, and that's also why I can't, I'm not going to be a cunt, like, yeah. Accountant, did I hear? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, just so we got that clear. Um, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, I guess it self-selects in a way, you know, in the sense that, um, you know, you will filter out the people who don't want to hear the, the tough feedback and the honest stuff as well, which is good because they're the people who may take offense and then that will take something out of you as well. Um, so to the point about, I mean, moving forward, you know, we talked about doing an AMA on you know having you back and doing a, a regular ask me anything ask sam um let's assume that we do that what do you want to look forward to i mean who are you looking for questions from is it just founders or investors as well you know to ask questions about what you do well, what sort of the questions that you regularly get asked and you also write as well we we'll talk about your 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 writings in a bit at the end so We'll, yeah. we'll shout those out. So there's there's stuff that you get out. What do you want to see in an AMA? What do you want to hear from? Oh, anyone, yeah. Found, I suppose it would mainly be from the founders, the guys who are thinking about what they what they should be doing next or the guys that think they may have an idea um, but aren't quite sure where to go, whether they're actually thinking about going into an accelerator, whether they're thinking about trying to raise some funding themselves. Um, I mean... Yeah, I'm kind of, the way that I look at things is I'm just trying to help as many people as possible, although probably doing that in a very high touch manner. Uh, I, like like I said, this stuff doesn't take anything from me. So if there's any any way that I can help, uh, happy to. If there are other investors, especially, I suppose, angels at the early stage, because that's where I see the most issues. Uh, like last year, I had a couple of conversations with, with angels and they're like, oh, well, we made these investments and this didn't go so well. Um, how do I get my money back or how do I deal with it from here? I'm like, well, this this is something that we could have dealt with when you actually started getting into the space and thinking about your portfolio construction. Now, no, it's binary. Like, this is it. And then you have the, the questions that you have to think about around, like, opportunity cost. Do you actually spend more time with the company to try to help it to turn around? And at what point do you pull pin and not spend any more time to it? With it, so yeah, like either either on the the founder side, on the you know, on the investor side, happy happy to deal with anything. Yeah, there seems to be a lot in, in the sense of connecting founders and investors as well. You know, in helping them understand each other. Like you said, for example, if you were an angel investor, like could you have helped the company? You know, at this stage, maybe there was a problem 
they could have got hands on and got involved and helped them. I don't know to what extent angel investors actually do that on a regular basis or know that they can do that or think that maybe that's that out of their, you know, their remit. So yeah. it's just sort of understanding what they can do and it, from the founder side is how they can interface with investors a lot better, right? Yeah. I mean, this, this also depends on how the relationship structured at the beginning because some angels, they just want to write a ticket. They want to walk away. They don't want to have anything to do with it. Other guys do want to be more involved. And I'd say most of the time though, those guys can be involved if you want them to be involved. What I, what I typically see and what's really frustrating is when a startup gets into a difficult position, they don't want to tell anyone about this, right? They don't want to t- tell anyone the negative story, have anyone feeling feeling like things aren't going well. But really, that's the time that you should be mm. reaching out. And if you, have a, if you have a regular dialogue, so with all the companies that I talk to, I always encourage them to have, like, if it's early stage, it should be a fortnightly newsletter. Later stages, maybe it's monthly, quarterly, whatever. But there should be some kind of dialogue that's going out there. So you can tell people, you know, this is what we're working on. This is what we tried, what worked, what didn't work. And, and this is what we need help with. If you go on, if, you, if you're putting that out there, I think you'd be surprised with the amount of people that actually reach out and are able to support you. Yeah. I like the idea of an investor newsletter. Mm. I, I think it's simple, super right? Yeah. yeah, and it should only take you like twenty minutes to put together. It's it doesn't have to be complicated. Um, and I'd, I'd seen actually another investor had said that was one of the the key success factors that they had noted how basically how the communications were managed from the startups. And mm. I kind of I kind of see that too because if a startup can actually put together the the communications, they they're on top of everything. If if you know everything that's going on in your business, it doesn't take that much time to just like ping it out. Would you put potential investors on that newsletter? I'd probably have two different newsletters I'd run. Okay. Like for the potentials, because you don't want to, maybe you don't want to spin the really mm. bad stuff to them, but you do want to keep them involved with what is what is going on. Yeah. Because then also if you keep, if you keep the investors engaged with what you're doing, then this the story becomes more linear as opposed mm. to dots. If you yeah. just go to someone and you go, hey, I, I need this capital at this point in time, it's like, okay, but what have you done? How have you got there? They, they haven't actually been on that journey with you. Yeah. So having the, the, the narrative, I think that definitely helps. Absolutely. Sam Give, everybody, partner in Endeavor Ventures. Sam, it's been a real privilege having you in the studio today. Where do we find out more about you? You also write as well, so maybe you can point us in the right direction to your very lengthy articles that I have to say were oh, very lengthy, well thought like, out. They're like less than 1,500 words. It's okay. how long it takes me to develop an idea. I didn't say lengthy in, in a negative yeah. way. For those people <laughs> the, who enjoy long-form content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want something in longer form, so Medium, either Sam and Gib or Endeavor Ventures, yeah, you can grab me the website, endeavor.ventures. Um, I'm on Twitter too, but I don't tweet so much. But yeah, I'm more of a, a voyeur there. Uh, at Sam and Gib. Okay, cool. And you, you, I know if you put yourself out there in the public sphere, you're going to get people reach out to you. Um, let's just preface that and just sort of shape it a little bit so you don't get a lot of spam. What's the best way for people to reach out to you? Say, hey, Sam, um, check out my pitch deck attached. Does that work for you? You know, what, Yeah, what? sure. Really? Ping me. Yeah, you can ping me on the email, Sam. Will you check that? Will you read it? Yeah, I'll read it. Oh, you mean to read the pitch deck? I'll have a look at it. All right. I I probably won't go cover to cover on it, but I'll have a look at it and give some. I I generally, honestly, if it's something that I wouldn't look at again, yeah, I'll 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 tell them that and I'll give them some kind of feedback as to to why. Um, but then if it is worthwhile looking at, yeah, I'll just jump on a call. Yeah. Well. Wow. Uh, before before actually having a meeting, so you can if you wanted to email anything through, that's uh, Sam at Endeavor Ventures. Uh, O-U-R, Endeavor O-U-R. 
Yeah. We'll put all the details in yeah, the show okay. notes. Don't worry. Sam, thank you so much today. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at ATP.show.